You are listening to The Gateway Church, located in Ferrisburg, Michigan. You can learn more about us by visiting thegateway.church or like and follow us on Facebook, where you can watch full services, keep up with all that is going on, and get connected. Well, it's Missions Encounter, and every year for Missions Encounter, we look to bring in the absolute best that will challenge us, that will help us open up our hearts for missions, and to think beyond what we can see in the natural. And today, uh, our mission missionary speaker is really, it's a pastor from uh, across the state, and leading one of the best churches in the state of Michigan. Uh, his name is Jim Wiegand, and Jim has been a blessing to me over the past several years. Uh, he is part of a podcast that I listen to every single Tuesday. It gets downloaded, so I get a steady diet of, of his uh, stories and his passion for, for the lost and for, for leadership and for uh, loving on pastors. Um, but even beyond that, he will often be speaking at different conferences that I've showed up to. And every single time Jim is on the docket, I'm going to his session. There's no question about it because his passion, I want to be, a, I want to be like Jim Wiegand. And uh, I'm telling you, he will challenge you this morning, and he is going to be a blessing to us. And so this morning, the Gateway kids are now dismissed. Thank you. I forgot that first service, and they're already moving. Way to go. Let's say goodbye to all the kids. Yeah, we love you. See you later. And while the kids are exiting, let's put a, a huge warm welcome for Pastor Jim Wiegand. I just, I just hope to be as cool as, the, as he thinks I am. You know what I mean? On any given day. Right on. Good morning, Gateway. Good to see you. My goodness. God bless you. How many of you guys know that most churches have absolutely no reputation in their community? They're the building you drive by on the way to the lake every Sunday. They're, they're the thing that maybe did the thing that maybe had an event that the stuff happened at. But they really don't have a reputation. It's the big building with a steeple on it. You say, what happens there? Like, I have no idea, but it's a big building. There's a steeple on it. There's a sign out front. If it's a new church, it's a cool kind of a sign, and it says things that are kind of contemporary. If it's an old church, it says first... Bubba's or St. Bobo's or whatever, but it's, it's not, like, like most churches have no reputation. They just don't. Um, and I, I'd even go a step farther. Most churches that do have a reputation, let's be honest, it's probably not a great reputation. That's the place where they talk about, that's the place where they're against, that's the place where they're for. But I, I've got good news for you today. You have a reputation. Your community knows who you are. They know where you are. Your, your state knows who you are. They know that your worship team is a velvet-covered sledgehammer that rocks you to sleep, depending on the size of the rock you need uh, to, to wake you up and move you. Um, your pastors have a reputation of just being wise and generous and kind. When you say I, you're one of our favorite partners, I actually, I absolutely believe that that's true. That's not just something you say where you go, but it's absolutely true. The place that you moved, you moved into this place with no debt challenged everybody with debt in a, in a 300-mile radius. and said, that's not possible. We were told that that can't be done, and you guys did it. Your faith precedes you. Um, your, your reputation of kindness and wisdom and good leadership precedes you. And when Pastor Ben said, hey, would you come share? I didn't care what the rest of the sentence was. Come share in cleaning the ladies' room after service. I was in. I was in. 
because I've heard about this place and I've known your pastors for some time and it's just an honor, an honor to be here. So, Father, I pray that for the next 20 minutes you'd bring heaven to earth, that nothing less than that would be accomplished. If it's less than that, then men talked. If it's more than that, then you spoke. And we pray that you would speak to every heart, every mind, every, every challenge to truth, God. Let it, let it just bow now to the name of Jesus whether it's getting our hearts completely filled with your spirit or completely right and being free from sin, whether it's an adjustment of our theology, God, that causes us to, to shine brighter and be saltier, whatever it is, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in this room. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Let's talk about generosity for a minute. I like the word generosity. People like stewardship. Stewardship always makes me feel like I owe somebody money, you know, but generosity feels like I want to do something. There's something in my heart that has to be expressed, and generosity is something that has always marked God's people. I don't know why that is, but I, I suspect it has something to do with God. I suspect it has something to do with you can fake a lot of things. I can fake being nice for about 10 minutes. In a social setting, hey, good to see you. How are you? I hate that guy. You know what I mean? But I, you can't do it for very long. I, I can fake being smart. The hermeneutics of Lucan historiography that we will delve into today in the book of Acts dictate, you know, I just memorized that line. I have no idea what those words mean. So you put them all next to each other, then I get confused, right? But I'm asking, no, you can't fake generosity. It's one of those things that you, do, you have it or you don't. It's not something you can, if you fake generosity, I'll get the check, you know, Maybe once. How many guys know it, it doesn't take very long before you realize if somebody is faking, it cannot be faked. And so God, in his brilliance, has commanded in the Old Testament, we're talking about the Old Testament and the New Testament and the laws that dictate those, those two seasons of, of God's people. But in the Old Testament, understand this, generosity was a command. Everybody say command. It was not a natural expression, just feel led of the Holy Spirit that only the high priest can touch one day per year. I, it, it, was, it was a command. If you do these things, Deuteronomy 28, you will be blessed. If you do not do these things, Deuteronomy 28, then you're elpo, you're, you're toast. You're really, really, really in trouble. Malachi 3, if you do these things, test me in this, and I will pour out a blessing. And if you don't, well, then you're robbing me and you're cursed. How many of us know there wasn't much gray area in the Old Testament? Obedience looked like do it. And disobedience looked like didn't. And uh, that is this. So we talk about like tithing. Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30. Here's God's commandment to his people to make sure that there's a reputation for generosity. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. That's your tithe. But it's not just in that, like I gave my 10%. There was also a cultural dynamic where God commanded. Everybody say commanded. It's not an option. It's commanded. There's a commandment to live generously in communities. And it tells us this in the way they harvested their fields. Leviticus chapter 23 says this. When you reap the harvest of your land, don't reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings, that stuff that falls off as you carry it from one end to the other. Leave them for the poor, for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. How many of you know what it means when God says, I am the Lord your God? You ever, you ever told your kids to do something? They said, Why? Make your bed. Why? I'm just going to get into it again tonight and mess it back up again. And they say, because I'm your father. That's why. That's what it is there. Why, why are we not get? We planted this. We watered it. We weeded it. We kept the crows out of it. We, we did everything. And now you're saying, leave it for someone who didn't work for it, who's passing through town? Like, doesn't that belong to me? And the, you know, the Lord just answered, you know, because I'm your father. That's why. Do what I told you to do. I love that, though, that how many guys are glad God leaves the gleanings on the very edge of the field, right where the roads are, right where the paths are? There's no shame in generosity. 
Those who need generosity. Anybody ever had to receive a generous gift and it was humbling? Anybody ever been on the, the, the other end of that where you had to stand in line? Number 47. Come on up here. here here's your food, poor person. And you're like, it's, it's humiliating. I've been in both. I've been in feeding lines when I was homeless, and I've been in the, the, a loving community that said, Jim, come on, you, you need to take a shower. Come to my house and take a shower. I, I know what both of those feel like. One feels like coming home, and one feels like you don't belong, but you're somebody's task to be accomplished. I love that in God's community, man, in God's community, he doesn't leave the gleanings in the middle of the field. It's the edge of the field. As you're walking by, you just reach out and grab a hold of it. Jesus, with his, with his disciples, did this. They literally were, they qualified as the poor. And they grabbed the heads of wheat, and they, they did it, and they shucked it, and they, they made the first granola bar in all of human history. And they ate it right there on the spot with gladness in their heart. Why? Because God didn't want and doesn't want people to be ashamed of their standing in the community. You're a foreigner. You have no land here. You're, you're, you're a stranger. You're the poor. You're the widow. You're an orphan. And God says, but everybody has a seat at my table. Somebody say amen. That's part of the culture of the generosity of the Old Testament. Hospitality to strangers. We see this in Deuteronomy chapter 26. When you finish setting aside a tenth of all your produce, produce in the third year, the year of the tithe, you shall give it to the Levite, the priesthood, the foreigner, the guy that's passing through, the fatherless, and the widow. Why? So that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. Don't you love that? Guys, generosity has always been part of the, the fingerprints of God. You, you will never find a season where God is in charge, where people aren't sharing the abundance. All this generosity was commanded. Now, everybody say Old Testament. Now, there's a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, the Old Testament was the laws because God needed a sacrifice before, before there could be intimacy and relationship. So there were rules as a tutor would lead somebody to adulthood where they'd embrace their tutor's rules as their own rules. We learned this in Galatians. And, and he says, I, I want you to do these things because if I, say, if I don't say don't murder, you'll just kill each other and not realize you're doing something horrible. So don't, don't murder each other and tithe and all this kind of stuff. But understand when Jesus comes along, he doesn't abolish the Old Testament law. He fulfills it. What does that mean? That means that, that there was one righteous enough for all of us. But it means something else. And I want you to hear me. I, blah, this is being live streamed, right? Okay, so I have to be careful what I say. The question we most often ask each other is, what did God save you from? What's your testimony? What did God save you from? Can I tell you that the gospel that only deals with your past is an incomplete gospel? I'm not saying we're not a full gospel church, whatever that means anymore, if it's even a common phrase anymore, I, I don't know. But what I am saying is this. There's a second question that is included in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not just what did God save you from, but what do you believe God saved you for? There's a reason you're here. And so Jesus comes and he fulfills the law, and then he gives us this beautiful Holy Spirit so we can be encountered and we can encounter. We can be intimate with God. And I was talking about this morning, that, that song that talks about the resurrection you were singing the day. And I, I got chicken skin right now just talking about having chicken skin. It's, it's one of those things where I can feel the presence of God in a room. Can you? I can feel the presence of God in a conversation. Can you? I hope you're feeling it right now, as a matter of fact. I can feel the presence of God in, in my prayer time, in my worship time. And I'm telling you that when Jesus, he didn't, he didn't say the law is no good. He said the law was a tutor leading you to a loving relationship. And now the fruit that was once legal is going to come out of a different place. Let me, let me just prove this to you. On the way here today, we saw a sign that looks something like this. Anybody know what that is? 
That's a speed limit sign. That's an intrusive object in my life. I, I just feel like there are wonderful suggestions, and, and I, I appreciate your input in my, in my decision-making process. But if I got a place to be that requires me to get there at 60 miles an hour, how many guys know that's in my way? Now, you, by a show of hands, in church on Sunday morning, holy, holy, holy. Here we are. You ready? How many of you may have, if you weren't paying close enough attention, may have exceeded the posted speed limit on your way to church? Some people, I didn't finish the question. She's proud of it. Amen. NASCAR, baby, all the way, right? How many of you guys have never told a lie in your, in your life? Let me see. Your, okay, all right, good. So in this, in this thing, when we see that, we know what the posted speed limit is. But do we ask what's the speed limit so we obey the law? Or do we ask another question when we see that? What's the question most often asked? On American roadways, when you see the speed limit sign, is it, oh, I should be careful, or is it, what's the fastest I can go before, before there's a consequence to my actions called, wee doo, wee doo, wee doo, license and registration, please. And I, hey, I just wanted a hug. I was speeding up so I could get a hug, officer, you know? It, when, we, when, when the law is involved, hear me, the human heart universally wants to know how much of the law is obeyed and how much of the law can I disobey to get where I want to go at a speed that I want to go at? Make sense? Let me show you another building. Get ready to boo. Here it is. First service, boo. There is. So when there's laws involved and speed limits are the law, we say, what's the most I can do before there's a consequence? But that's not what the same thing with our taxes, right? Okay. I'm being taxed at 32%, but I really want to do the 40% level this year. I gave the IRS my faith promise, and by faith this year, I'm going to pay them more taxes. No. Why? Because it's a mandated legal, and if you don't say it, it's not mandated, it's not legal, you're going to be in jail soon. I got audited. They're not nice. They're, I'm not saying, if you're an IRS agent, again, my name is Ben Vey, and I love you, <laughs> and I'm, I'm here to serve you any way I can. My social security number is 375, you know what I mean? But I'm, I'm telling you, I don't look at my, my taxes and wonder how much I can give to the government. I say, what's the least I can do before I get in trouble? Speed limit, what's the taxes? What's the before there's a consequence to my actions? Does this make sense? So how many of you guys understand that, that the, the tutors of IRS guidelines and speed limit signs are important? They, they give us an orderly society so blessings and safety and generosity can be in there. But how many of you guys know there should be something between us that's greater than us and the IRS? There should be something between us and Jesus that's greater than us and a speed limit sign. And so Jesus does this through this realm of relationship. Law asks the question, what's the most I can do? What's the least I can do before there's a consequence? But what, what question does love ask? It simply asks, what's the need? What's the most I can do? What's the least I have to do before there's a consequence? Love says, what's the need? Let me, let me just show this to you a little bit. Um, Let's say there's a child. The child lives 10,000 miles away in a village you've never heard of. He speaks a language that you don't speak. His skin color is different from your skin color. His education is different from what you would call education. His family is different. The foods, the smell of the home, the, the floor, what's on the walls is all completely different. But the one thing that stands out in this child's life is he's in desperate need of a kidney transplant. If this child does not get a kidney in the next six months, the child will die. How many of you guys have a certain compassion for that? 
Because it's, it's real, right? It's like, okay, I'm not sure I'm going to go out and get like somebody putting a needle into my bone marrow to see if I'm a match. But, but at the same time, I mean, that's, somebody should do something about that. Hey, Pastor Ben, take an offering for that kid. Now I'll, 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 you know, put 10 bucks in the offering to help that kid and kids like him. How many guys would feel that way? But let, let's move it from 10,000 miles away and just, just to see if this works, relationship works. Now it's not 10,000 miles away, it's 10 miles away. And it's a kid that you actually know because that kid goes to this church. And that kid you've seen running through the fourway, and his grandparents said, stop running. And his parents were like, run, you know, because all the generations have differences of opinion on running in church. We're Pentecostal, man. If you can't run here, you can't run anywhere. And this church, you guys have jerseys. Like during worship, you're doing laps. It's wonderful, you know. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> ole, 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 ole. And, I, and you see this kid, but you notice like he's not running so much anymore, and he's getting dark circles under his eyes, and his skin seems a little yellow. And what's, what's going on? Well, he's... he's He's in trouble. If he doesn't get a kidney in the next six months, he's going to die. Now, 10,000 miles away, 10 miles away. How many guys are more compelled to help that kid in your church than that kid who's 10,000 miles away? Be honest. Why? And what, is it because of law? It's because of relationship. Let's, let's just dial it in one more. Danger close. Here we go. What if it's not 10,000 miles away? It's not 10 miles away. It's your kid. It's your grandkid. Anybody got anything to pray about? I got nothing to pray about. It doesn't matter what's in my checkbook. It doesn't matter what's not in my checkbook. I will mug an old lady to make sure that a kid gets a kidney. I will take a dull, rusty spoon and dig it out of my own back if I have to because I love that kid and I die for him. Does this make sense? So how many guys understand that what Jesus did by bringing relationship into the equation changed the equation? It completely changed the equation. John chapter 3, verse 16, famous verse, all over football games in America. Um, people with, remember the, remember the old multicolored Afro wig guy that had the John 3, 16 sign? They would do his thing. Yeah, I, I may be old enough to remember that guy. He went everywhere. It was probably 10 people, but it was, it was the same, you know, beautiful evangelistic strategy of doing that. But John 3, 16 tells us that what we just realized about ourselves is true about God as well. God loves you so much. That when the eternal God looked into eternity and you weren't there, I wasn't there, we weren't there. It was so un, unthinkable to God that we would not be there, that the Father did the unimaginable by making sure that his son was nailed to a, a sinner's cross for sinners like me. That's what love does. Are you guys getting this? See, law says what's the most, what's the least. Love says what's the need. And it doesn't even matter what the cost is. I, I did not like children um, I was the youngest, so if anybody cried in the home, it was me. Uh, if there were any funny smells, it was coming out of me. If there was any, you know, buddy that, that was last or first, I, it was me. I was the youngest kid. So uh, going through homelessness and then the military and then schooling and all that kind of stuff, I didn't really get to be around kids much. And then I, I met my wife, and she had this whole, you know, desire that I didn't understand about having children. And so I started practicing on other people's children, and I tried to hold them. But how many guys know, like, a baby's head doesn't, it, it's like a bobblehead. It just, like, you know, let me hold them. I picked them up, and the head went, and the baby went, ah, and I went, oh, okay, and I handed them back. I had no good experience. One time I was holding a baby, and all of a sudden I was like, oh, okay, this isn't bad. I'm like, what the heck? How rude. And the kid was a genius. Like, it was in his hair and in his socks simultaneously. I'm like, I... I'm like 25, and I can't do that. This kid's an athlete. This is incredible, you know? And I handed him back, and now I've got, like, Ray Poupon all over me. Like, what is wrong with people? 
So when I first held my child, it was the first time in my life, like, they, like my wife almost died in childbirth, and they said, here, congratulations, here, your son. I didn't know what to do, and in that moment, I just, I just kind of lied, and I said, my wife needs me now. Just take him away. I got to tend to my wife, and she did need me, and, but it, it was supposed to be this moment, and I didn't know how to hold my kid. Three hours later, my wife's sound asleep, and I went down to the nursery, and, I'm, and this lady, and I just said, hey, I, I'll be really honest with you. I didn't take my son because I, I just started crying. I don't know how to hold a baby. She said, sweetie, come here. You're not as dumb as you think you are. One of the first people who ever said that to me. And I sat in a chair. She wrapped him up. She put him in my arm. She grabbed a bottle that was about that big, like something you give to Barbie, you know. I, I put it in his mouth, and he, hear me, he opened his eyes, and he looked at me. You ever been there? And this is what came out of my mouth. What you expect would be like, I'm your daddy. Yes, I am. You know what I said to him? As if I were speaking to a man, I said to my three-hour-old son, I'd die for you. That's the first thing I said. It's the only thing I said, and I just started crying. And here it is, 31 years later, I'm telling this story. I'm such a wuss. I, I don't know what it is about this place. You guys make me cry. But I, I, I'd die for you. 31 years later, I'd still die for him. That, that is, there's no law that makes anybody die for anybody, but love will cause somebody to die for somebody. And that's, that's this whole relationship now. We've gone from law to love, and love asks the question, what's needed? What's needed is what I have to do. See, love can't not give. Well, you know, it's not my responsibility. It's not my problem. It's not my kid. It's not my kidney. It's not, but, but when it is, when, when love makes that need your need, how many of you guys know you'll meet that need? No matter what it takes, because love can't not give. There's nothing to pray about. There's just generosity that has to happen. So take a pen and just put it right there. How many of you guys know love is better than law? Second thought that I have for you this morning that will combine here towards the end is, is this, that there's something we call God math. You ever heard of God math? Does that make sense? Like there's math. Just, let's just do it. And I know you don't trust me enough to answer this loudly, but if someone trusts me enough, it's, I am not tricking you. This is the question. One plus one equals, and some of you are still like, nope, don't know you well enough. This whole section back here, very skeptical, Pastor, but I'm just saying there's something. We have visitors. They'll be okay. All right. It's mathematical. The, the principles of this world. Here we go. Two take away one equals, do you see that? But how many of you guys know that there's more than just math, there's something we call God math. Let me tell you what God math is about. I'm going to read you several scriptures quickly just to make a singular point and, and help me with this. Mark chapter 4, verse 26 says this. He also said, Jesus speaking, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters what? Look at Mark chapter 4, verse 30. Again, Jesus says, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard... John chapter 12. Again, I'm having a Mr. Rogers moment. I just, I like it when you say that. John chapter 12. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single. Luke chapter 8. A farmer went out to sow his seed. And verse 11 says, the meaning of the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Let's add it up. The kingdom of God is like a seed. Faith is like a Jesus' life, he says, is like a, he encourages us to make our lives like a, and the word of God is a, what the heck is going on with all these seeds? Hear me, hear me, hear me. There's math. One plus one equals, two take a one equals, okay. 
But then there's God math, mathematical laws. The kingdom law says this, one plus God equals what? And the answer is anything God wants it to be. Two, take away one plus God equals what? Whatever God wants it to be. Think of it, think of it like an apple. Look, look at this, this picture. How many of you guys know that anybody who's basically educated can calculate the number of seeds inside of an apple? But only God can tell you how many apples are inside of a seed. And this is what Jesus is saying. There, there's a reason we give, but then there's also a paradigm under which we give that's completely different from math. This morning, I made the grave error of taking $14 to Starbucks. I got two coffees. That's the end of the story. It wasn't that great, but that's the end of the story. Two coffees. I got a Capilotti mochaccino or whatever it was, and I got a, I got a, a giant mug life is what they call it. And, and it's, how many of you guys like Starbucks coffee? It's so, it, they just burn the beans. It's like, it's like licking your father's ashtray when you're a kid. It's just like, why am I doing this? I'm not an addict. I can quit anytime I want to. I just, I just really didn't want to this morning, you know? So I gave them my money. They gave me the coffee. They got my money. I got their coffee. The coffee's gone. So two take away one is one. The money I have left in my pocket is mine. They have the rest of it, and the coffee's gone. That's math. Do you see that? But let's, let's take this. Let's say I have $20. I spent 10 of it on coffee. And, and it's gone. That exchange, that mathematical exchange. But now we're going to do it in the kingdom. Let's say, let's say I'm at the same Starbucks, and I see somebody with a sign, we'll work for caffeine. And they, they need a cup of coffee. And I know that look because I, too, have that look on my face. And instead of me getting a cup of coffee, the Holy Spirit says, Jim, do you love that person more than a cup of coffee? And I go, Lord, I, if you love him, I love him. Well, then why don't you give him your coffee today? Now, my same $10 is gone. Do you see that? $10 for me. I got my coffee. They got my money. I had 20. I have 10. But instead of me drinking the coffee, I took the 10, and I gave it to somebody the Holy Spirit laid on my heart because God loves that guy. Does this make sense? The, the, The mathematical thing is I had 20, and now I have 10. But now the other one, I gave it away because Jesus put that person on my heart. There's a relationship I have with them because God has a relationship with them. I had 20, I gave away 10, but yes, I still have 10, and I didn't get coffee, but it isn't like the mathematical scenario. I have planted seeds in soil that live under a different paradigm than the first thing. Now those seeds that I no longer see, they're not in my hand, they're out of my hand, they have the potential to become 10 trees that have untold apples, that have untold seeds that change the world. I'm telling you this, I don't know who did it, but somebody put a dollar in an offering and said, that's just a dollar. But let's just say that dollar bought that this three inches of carpet right there. How many of you guys are going to stand on three inches of carpet and give their life to Jesus at this altar through the course of time? It's just a dollar. It's, it's just a prayer. It's just a kind word. It's just a cup of coffee. I am telling you something. Please, please, please hear me. If you will take what is in your hand and put it into God's hand, God math takes over. Because the kingdom of God is like a seed. Because, because the word of God is like a seed. Because faith is like a seed. Because everything God's doing, he, we begin the process and God multiplies what we've given him. Does this make sense? So God is not trying to get something from us. God literally, in the opportunity to love people in his name, to serve in his name, to hand out things in his name, to share the word of God in his name, to give an emissions offering in his name. He's not trying to get, listen, if you thought I was here 
because I was here to, to be a fundraiser. You have grossly underestimated what I'm here to do. I'm not here to raise money because money comes and goes. I am here as a faith raiser. I want you to see that everything you put into God's hands becomes more than what you put in his hands. Sometimes it takes a while. And I'm not one of those, I mean, forgive me, but I was raised in the 80s where the televangelists did their thing. And I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to judge people, although I'm not trying not to either. But if you give $10 in this offering today, the Lord just put a thousandfold blessing in $10,000 to come back to you. Like, I, just, I mean, guys ever want to look at the TV set just say, shut up. Like, if that's the way it works, why don't you give me 10 bucks and God will give you 10,000 bucks and you can just go do whatever you want to do. I, I, this whole, I will promise you, and the blessing and the multi, I don't know that, but I know this. Good seeds plus good soil plus God. That's what Jesus promises. That's what Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians. That's, that's the principle of the kingdom of God. If I take my life, if I take my worship, if I take my hour, if I take my cup of coffee, if I take my dollar, if I take my prayer time, and I plant it in the soil of the kingdom, what I have planted lives under a completely different paradigm than everything else I will do during the course of that day. I want to I close with a thought. How many of you guys know what it means when a Sunday God pastor says, in closing? It means absolutely nothing. But I'm going to try to close. I'm going to try to close. I, I was, we were in the process of building a building. We had five point something million dollars. It doesn't bother me to even talk about it after all these years that we had to raise and borrow. And, and I, remember, I remember just being, how many of you guys have ever been like honest, honest with God? Like you're honest with God, but the, the honest, honest that has a little bit of volume in it, maybe some tears and maybe your stomach goes in a knot. And I said, God, I'm just going to be honest with you. I mean, if you can speak the universe into existence with like a let there be, like, couldn't you just say, let there be a big building? with cool chairs and carpeting and sound systems. I mean, why, why is this so hard? Why are you, I mean, I'm not a beggar, but I feel like I talk about money way more than I want to talk about money. I feel like I talk about stewardship and generosity. And I just, I just can be really honest with you. I don't want to be that guy. I, I want to be, I want to be different. I just, God help me. Cause I, I just, you know, like, why is it that Gideon you know, has to like fight everybody. Why is it Nehemiah's got to build a wall? Why is it Solomon's got to build a temple when you can just go Shazam and it's all there? Like, why don't you Shazam this? And, I, and I'm not kidding you. I don't say this often, but I heard in my heart the voice of the Holy Spirit say something and it's, it's wrecked my life and transformed it and I share it with you now. The Lord said to me this, I am not using you to build big buildings. I did not use Nehemiah to build a wall, Solomon to build a temple. I am using those things to build you. I've never been here before. Well, then who are you going to trust? Not Ghostbusters. Holy Ghostbusters. I've never been here before. Then who are you going to reach out to that has? Iron sharpening iron. God speaking faith has changed and will continue to change the church. Amen? So I'm here to say this to you today. I don't, I don't think God's using you to build a big missions program. And if you look at it that way, you have it absolutely the opposite of what I think God has. God's not using you to build something big. God's using something really big to build you. This, this is not a, a budget promise card. It's not a over and above my usual expenses after my 401k has been funded. And my, this is a, it's called a faith. You realize what faith is? Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things you do not have. A faith promise card. 
is saying this, last year my faith was for this, but because of a year of trusting Jesus and him being trustworthy, I now want to do something that even goes beyond my comfort yet again because we grow from faith, come on, to faith and from glory to what? To greater glory. So I'm not here to raise any funds. I, I care deeply about the cause of missions, but if all I do is just a big fundraising thing and I make a big promise ah, about tenfold giving ah, and 30, 60, and 100, like, you know, come on. I'm simply here to say this. Those who live by faith, those who walk in love, those who see the invisible, believe the impossible, can touch the intangible, those are the people that change the world. And my second lie for the day, here comes my last, last, last story. Can the worship team come forward? Is that okay? How are we doing time-wise? Oh, yeah. Plus, I'm leaving town right after this, so who cares, right? Good, good, good. I love being a guest speaker. It's like being a grandparent, you know? Everybody gets espresso and a puppy, now go home, you know? I, I shared a little bit of my story, but here, here's another part of it. Um, I was exposed to drugs as a child. I remember, and this is online, my, my father's dead, my mother loves Jesus, so I don't think this will hurt her, but I remember being on a, a trip as a child where we were learning, I'm in second grade, we're learning how to roll joints, uh, marijuana cigarettes, <laughs> for, for those of you who like, don't know what I'm talking about, though everybody smokes dope, but anyway, they, I, you know, don't do it so tight, don't do it so loose, because it'll burn, it'll be this, I remember my brothers and sisters teaching me in second grade how to roll marijuana, I dealt drugs like some of your kids, like, sell cookies for the band, or whatever, by the time I was 16 years old, I was living in the backseat of a 65 Buick Electra, and I had become an addict, that's where addicts go, and I was grateful to have a car, um, Winters get cold, nights get long. Back window leaked and it smelled like uh, mildew, you know? I ate out of garbage cans. I am talking the other night about your favorite meal. I have no favorite meal because I, I know what it is to walk into a bowling alley and see the bus trays with half-eaten pizza and grab what I could and stuff in my coat and walk back out again and go back all alone in my car with my addictions and somebody's half-eaten dinner and be grateful that I wasn't hungry. <laughs> This girl at school said, hey, I want you to go to a concert with me. And when you're homeless and you haven't bathed in weeks and you have fleas, any human interaction, let alone a pretty girl, a girl who spun the flags in, in band, you know, one of those girls, she had like sparkly stuff on and her legs didn't make her look like Jabba the Hutt and bike shorts. You know what I mean? One of those, like she, she's talking to me. I had no idea she was inviting me to a DeGarmo and Key concert where I'd give my life to Jesus. But I walked into that just as lost atheist arguing with my teachers. You, a history teacher talked about Jesus as an ADBC explaining. I said, stop, stop, stop. My father's tax dollars, my father lives in another state. My father's tax dollars are not spent so you can indoctrinate kids in Christianity. If that happens again, I'll get you fired. This is a 16-year-old living in the backseat of his car, speaking with great authority by the unction, not of the Holy Spirit, but of a demonic spirit. I walked in and a guy in spandex pants, a tank top, and a Mr. T starter kit told me about Jesus. And I walked to an altar and I gave my life to Christ. I walked in a hopeless dope fiend. And I walked out about two hours later, a dopeless hope fiend. They were so excited about what God had done that I went to my, my classroom the next Monday. I told my teacher, I gave my life to Jesus. Matter of fact, would you do me a favor? Could you leave the room so I could tell the whole class about Jesus? She said, Jim, I'll get fired. I said, Mrs. Waltz, you hate your job. We're both gonna win. Like you, you get fired, I get to share 
God, isn't this, I mean, this is win-win. She's like, I'll, I'll go into my office, but I'll leave the door open and don't say anything stupid, you know. I told the class about Jesus that day. And I've been telling people about Jesus ever since. And I, I'm here to tell you this. Of all, the, of all the things I know, I got a 1.8 GPA from Lakeland High School. My, my siblings, they're brilliant. My, my sister, she graduated Sigma Cum Laude. I graduated, oh, thank you, Laude. By the grace of God, they let a drug addict kid that was living in the backseat of his car get a diploma. And I, I'm just here to tell you, oh, I'll say this the right way. Where I started in this journey was a very dark, very cold, very shallow, very lonely, very hungry, very desperate place. And it is from, from faith to faith to faith to faith to faith to faith that, that the man who stands before you with three chins and a smile on his face can now stand up here and say, God is good. God is faithful. God will get you through it. God, God has made promises. You can trust him. And I'm just saying this. My story is not a story of how good I am because I didn't live in the backseat of my car anymore because Wolfman, my buddy's mom, said, come live with us, Jimmy. Take a shower. Delouse yourself. You ever get a cast off and your skin's like all dead and you got to wash it and it comes off? My whole body was covered in just dead skin and dirt. And I washed it off and was born again again, if that makes sense. And Pam Hunt, my the director of, of the, not Young Life, Youth for Christ program, said, come with us to camp and paid my way to go to camp and come with us to Haiti. And I ended up going to Haiti and it changed my life. And, and then I went off to the military because I got tired of people telling me what to do. And then... I got discipled in Colleen. I got discipled in, in Phoenix. I got discipled in Iowa. I got discipled. What I'm saying is this. I am the product of everybody else giving towards someone they didn't know. Something, something that was in their heart said he's out there somewhere. And if you'll just help him, maybe, maybe your seed will become a man. Maybe your seed will become a husband. Maybe your seed will become a father, a, a grandfather, a, a pastor, an evangelist in this moment. I'm just here telling you, I trust that the Lord, that you don't know what you're about to do. And that's okay because the seeds are hidden in dirt and covered until God brings them back as fruit-bearing, life-giving. I don't know how many thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars it costs the kingdom to get one convert at a rock concert through addiction, through the military, but it wasn't me giving a dime of it because I didn't know any of this. So I'm just telling you, if you're here today and you think I'm here to raise funds, I'm not. I'm fighting for a kid who's living in the backseat of his car right now. I'm fighting for a kid that's in Cairo right now. And he, you know, he, he knows what he knows, and, but he doesn't know who loves him. I'm fighting for the missionaries. There's 120 of them that you guys have. You started with three. 120 now. It's legendary what's happening here. My prayer is that your prayers will be answered 30, 60, 100 fold that which you would pray them. And my prayer is that this offering you're about to give, this faith you're about to write down. It's not a bill. They're not going to say, hey, you promised 200, only 180s come in. Where's our dough? Because it's not, it's, not it's not a fundraising program. It's a faith-raising program. So once a year, you come together and look at the next year. You look at the harvest fields and you consider, is there anybody out there that might need the 10 bucks that's in my pocket? Or the 10,000 bucks? Or the 110,000 bucks? I, I don't know. But seeds become plants, become seeds, become plants, become multiplying, multiplying. So, Father, I pray today, God, for that young man living in the back seat of his car. I pray today, God, for the missionaries that are waiting to be funded. I pray today for the kids playing soccer in the streets of Cairo. I pray today, God, for China. 
all those people that have been excluded and kicked out, God, that need people. God, I, I pray, we pray for Africa and Asia and Eastern Europe. God, we pray for Russia. We pray for Cuba. God, we, we pray for the, the people across the oceans, across the mountains, across the forests, across the valley, and across the street. You have called us to be a part of reaching them all. And God, right now, we just give you what we have. We give you what we have, the seed that is our trust in you, the seed, this number on a piece of paper. God, may you do exceedingly and abundantly above all we ask, thought, or ever imagined. Those who gave have no idea what their gift became in my life. This side of heaven, they will never know what happened to me. There's no cards filled out. There was no follow-up. There's no discipleship. There was just a, a hand raised and a crying young man that walked to an altar and knelt for the first time before someone greater than himself. God, we pray that the world would know that moment. Come on, church, pray with me. We pray that the world would know that moment. Such an honor to be a part of this, God, today. Bless us to be the blessing you called us to be. What did God save us from? But what do you believe God saved you for? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you, Pastor Jim. When you came in today, you either sat on a card or you moved it to the side. I want everyone to have one in your hand. You should grab one just right where you are, every single person. And uh, we want to interact with this. And uh, I want to just encourage you. Uh, here at the Gateway Church, the longer you spend time with us, we want you to know that this is part of our DNA. This is what we do. Above and beyond our tithes, we, we, as the Lord puts it on our hearts, we want to be giving through Faith Promise Giving. Faith Promise Giving is what supports our missionaries and future missionaries. We have a goal, we have a vision that's beyond our resources today to support 200 missionaries. We want to continue to see our, our impact grow. And we want to invite you to join us. For some of you, you've been a part of this, and we want to encourage you to fill out a new card. It, it helps us to know how to plan moving forward. And basically, the way the card works is you put your name on there. You can do a weekly pledge of Faith Promise. You can do a monthly. Sometimes my wife and I will do a yearly pledge of Faith Promise, uh, and we'll put that, and then the, the people that are counting, they can figure it out. But uh, And then what you do is you rip off the small portion. And this portion is going to go in the bucket here in just a moment. And then you keep this portion. You tuck it in your Bible. You put it where you do your devotions. You, you put it where, uh, where you see it, maybe in your car or on the mirror. And what you do is you pray and say, Lord, if you can get it to me, you can get it through me. And again, this is not a budgeted item. It's not something that you say, okay, um, I can squeeze out a percentage or, or I can, you know, you know, this amount or whatever. No, no, it's what is God speaking to you? And I want to encourage you to be obedient, to listen, and to let God speak today. A couple quick things, and I know our time, and then we're going we're gonna to worship, uh, and we're going to respond. We're going to ask you to bring those faith promises to the front. But a couple things that the Lord kind of spoke to my heart this morning uh, as I was praying. Number one is when it gets tight, it's time to give again. And some of you have heard me say that in the past, and I mean it. And not, this is not something I just say. This is something my wife and I, we have, have done on several occasions when things are tight. And how many would agree that our economy kind of stinks? And uh, 
uh, you know, gas is more, food is more. Uh, I, in fact, we had a guest stay with us for, uh, a couple weeks ago, and uh, Jessica's like, I'm going to need this much more uh, to make it. And I was like, what? <laughs> Are you, really? And, uh, and, and thankfully, we were able to do that, but things are tight. But when you talk about seeds, how many know that when you sow a seed, you don't get an immediate result, right? If you ate all your seed, you have nothing for the future. But when you sow a seed, you reap in a different, in a different season. And today, in what faith promises, it's sowing seeds for the future. The other thing I'll say about faith promise, when you decide to do this, and again, we're inviting you to join us, join our staff, join our board. But when we do this, what's incredible is you tap into the supernatural nature of God. You get to experience the impossible. And God does miracle after miracle in our lives. I just want you just right where you are, just close your eyes. And I want you just to ask the Lord, God, what is it? Are you open to this idea? Say, Lord, what is it? For some, if you've made a faith promise in the past and God allowed you to fulfill that, you need to expand and do more. For some of you, this will be the first time. Start somewhere. Our goal is not a dollar amount. It's a percentage of people participating. And our goal is that every single person that calls the Gateway Church their home would interact with faith promise giving. So Lord, I pray that in the next couple moments, as we sing and then we'll respond, I pray that our faith will rise, that you would help us do the impossible. And Lord, we just thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Pastor Bobby, lead us. I'm going to ask that you'd fill these out and then bring those to the front, put them in the buckets, and then you can continue to worship, and then we'll be done here in just a moment. Amen. Hallelujah. As we were worshiping and just sharing, uh, my daughter Reagan leaned over and shared a picture that God kind of gave her during first service. I said, we should share that. She said, you share it. <laughs> But the picture that she had was that there was a dam and all of the water was kind of building up and all the years that we've been giving and being faithful is kind of mounting and, and uh, kind of growing. And if you can imagine the dam and the water building up and at some point that the dam breaks free and from what I understood is that it, the idea that, that God was showing her is that there will be missionaries future that will be sent and released from this place. And that's exactly what the Lord shared with me in a different way a couple years ago. Uh, we felt like we had been a missions giving church and the Lord put on my heart a couple years ago that we would become a missions-sending church. Sons and daughters, husbands and wives, retired, going. And 
I was excited a few years ago when the, the Lord first put that on my heart. And I didn't realize that it would hit so close to home. It started with my own daughter. Our first sent long-term. I'll tell you, what a blessing. But it's hard. But it's worth it. It's love that motivates it. It's, I just love that these buckets represent an incredible amount of faith. And as we move into this season, this next season, I am believing for breakthrough. And not only so that our missionaries are supported, but so that we will be better engaged for God's glory, for his honor. Lord, I just pray that you would seal these moments in our hearts and our lives. Do far beyond what we could ever imagine. Lord, we're tapping into the supernatural nature that you provide. And God, I pray that you would be faithful and help us. And now as we leave, Lord, I pray that you go before us, behind us, and all around us. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Go in the grace of God. Make sure you stop and see Pastor Troy at the City Serve. He's got a gift for you. Let's clear his table. God bless you. Go in the grace of God. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegateway.church.